going to be. Hey, God, we love you once again. We come before you. And, and Father, there are loved ones uh, within our family that uh, are, are sick, that are hurting, that are unmotivated, that are just because of their circumstances, God, they're just, they're down. So, Father, we, we pray for Jackie, we pray for JW and, and where they are, the things that they're dealing with, the health issues that they're dealing with. And, Father, we, we trust you as you were the author and the creator of life uh, to, to intercede and, and to do what needs to be done. Give wisdom to doctors, give wisdom to physical therapists and nurses. Father, I, I pray for uh, Jackie's spirit, and I pray for J.W.'s spirit, and I pray for just the longing, the, the desire to, to do what is asked of them by these professionals, to, uh, to get the rest needed, to do the exercises needed, to do, to do the things needed for recovery, Father God. We, we pray that you instill that in them. Father, I pray for the caretakers, I pray for those who are sacrificing time and energy and just be with them. Give them strength. Lord. Father, right now we, we pray for us. We pray for the room. When we pray for your word to penetrate into our lives to meet us where we are, God. Now, Father, some of us need to just we showed up today, we're down, and we just need to be encouraged. And I pray that your word meets us there. Father, some of us just need correction of behavior, and I pray that your word meets us there. Some of us just need a conviction to take a, another step, Father, and I pray that your word meets us there. So let us just surrender to you, Lord. Let us surrender to your word that is alive and active. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so at the beginning of every year, towards the beginning of every year, we, we like to take a couple of weeks, and we like to talk about Life Bridge. It's not that we're full of ourselves or anything, because we're, we're not, uh, but we like to just kind of remind and refresh who we are as a church. Well, because of some illness in, in my life, you know, a couple weeks ago I had to miss, uh, we, 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 got a, we had to cut a Sunday out, but we didn't want to interrupt the series that we were in, and so now we've got you know, our vision and our mission that we normally dedicate a Sunday to now lumped in one today. So, one o'clock will be here before you know it. Don't worry about it. But we're going to get it. I'm just kidding. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. We're going we're gonna, to uh, put these two together and we're going we're gonna to make it happen. So, so today, that's what it is. And so we have some visitors here. We're grateful that you guys are here. You picked a great time to come because you're going to hear uh, about who we are and, 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 and what we aspire to be. Just so you know kind of where we're going in the future, um, after today, next Sunday, we're, we're going to start a series I'm really excited about called Mountains. All right, we're going we're gonna to look at the, the significance of how God used geography and, and how God used certain mountains throughout the, his story. All right, not just history, but his story. And, and one of the things that we say is that, and I heard this from somebody, and I don't wish I knew who it was, but God reveals the glory on the mountaintop. But he shows us his love and mercy and patience down in the valley. A lot of us can relate to that. A lot of us have had valley moments. We want the glory. We want the top. We want the, we want the aha moments. But a lot of time is spent down in the valley. So we, we're going to spend um, several weeks. We'll start next week, and it's going to lead us all the way up to Easter. And we're going to look at several mountains mentioned where wonderful events took place that shaped who you and I are to this day. All right, so that's next week. After that, out of Easter, we're going to get into Jonah, and, and then after that, we're going to get into the Old Testament, um, you know, minor prophets, and, and so yeah, it's a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff coming up. I'm excited about it. But today, let's talk about us. Uh, who are we, right? Who's life bridge? What do we, what do we aspire to be? Uh, I'm not going to give you the history lesson if you don't know, but our church is 11 years old. Just a, a couple of weeks ago, we turned 11. We are the, the result of merging two congregations together. We felt that God brought us to this place because of some circumstances taking place 
uh, with church fires and, 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 and ministers moving on to, to other parts of the world. And it's like, all right, God, you brought us here. Now what? And, and, and there was this conviction of, of the leadership at that time that, that there needed to be a philosophical shift in, in how we did ministry as we formed LifeBridge. And, and so here's the thing about us. Uh, we, we believe this. The church... Not just life bridge, not just us, but the church was created by God to carry out the mission that Jesus came and modeled for us. Like we weren't created for the mission, or, or the mission wasn't created for us. We were created for the mission. And so Jesus came and he he's like, I'm gonna show you how to do this. And we love the teachings of Jesus. We we love to study and analyze and, and learn and just absorb the teachings of Jesus. But it's also important that we look at how he did things. The, the Bible, especially the first four books of the New Testament, they're full of examples of how Jesus did ministry. So we value that, we look at that, we study that. And, and, and Jesus came and he took some average men, different personalities, different skill sets, different levels of education, and he brought these men together where they spent time together every day for the sole purpose of following their rabbi so that they could learn from him and learn how to be just like him. Now, now we've covered that in previous sermons, the emphasis of a rabbi and, and the disciple-rabbi relationship and what that really meant. Okay, But Jesus got these guys that they were rejects. They, they did not make the cut. He's like, I'm going to bring you guys together, and, and we're going to spend the bulk of three years together, day in, day out. And we're going to walk, and you're going to be hungry, and you're going to be tired, and I'm going to hear it, and Peter's going to act like this, and James is going to act like this, and Matthew's going to act like this, and all these things are going to go on, and I'm going to teach you and show you how to live together. And, and at the proper time, I'm then going to release you guys to carry out my mission. And so after three years, that's what Jesus did. He discipled these men. Then the time was right, and they were ready to carry out the mission. So let me ask you this fundamental question for you and your faith. What does God desire from you? And Jesus, Jesus is like, there's Peter, I'm I desire for Peter to come and follow me so that he can carry out my mission. I'm going to transform Peter into my likeness, and then I'm going to release Peter to fish for men. There's Matthew. I desire for Matthew to do the same thing. I desire for Bartholomew. I desire for Judas. I desire for you. You go down the list. I desire for these people to follow me so that they can then carry out the mission. What does God desire? And there's several answers to this question in modern-day America. When we think about the church in America right now, there's several answers to this. Oh, just love other people. You know? And I'm going to talk a lot about love in just a few minutes, just so you know. But by love other people, we mean love the people that love us back. Like, that's typically what we mean when we say, Jesus desires for me to love other people. Because he really doesn't desire it. So we tell ourselves to love the people that are hard to love. Right? Treat other, treat other people with kindness. That, that, that's what God desires for me. Go to church every Sunday. That's what God desires. Tithe. Share the gospel with others. Serve somewhere. Worship Him. And the list can go on and on and on and on about this question of what does God desire for you individually and you corporately. And to summarize all these answers that we can come up with, when we surrender, when we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, when we surrender to Jesus being our Savior, saving us from our, ourselves and saving us from the sin that is in our life, at that point in time, God desires that you mature in your faith. Every parent in here gets it. We can't wait for our children to mature in who we've raised them to be. We want it. 
We want it more than they want it. Spiritual maturity is the goal, church. Spiritual maturity is the goal for our time on earth once we surrender our lives to him. When we say, yes, Lord, be, be the, the savior of my life, I'm giving my life to you, I'm surrendering to your lordship, we come up out that water, from that point on, every breath forward, until the day we die or Jesus returns is about me maturing in my faith. And as long as I'm mentally able to do it, and as long as I'm physically able to do it, that should be the goal of every Christian. Check out these Bible verses. We're going to fly through these. Alright? You can write them down. They're going to come up on the screen. Okay? The author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 6, Therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. At some point in time, we got we got to leave the elementary doctrine of of, of, of what's there of Christ, and we got to go on to maturity. We got got to go on to deeper, harder things. Ephesians four, twelve through fifteen. Paul's writing to the church. And he talks about this. This, this. this is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Because he's talking to me. He's talking to every other minister and teacher. And, and, and this is what he's saying. Their responsibility, my responsibility, is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. That's my, that's my, that's my responsibility. It is to, is to build up the church. It is to prepare God's people for works of service. And this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth alone in our society. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. This work needs to continue in our lives to the point that there's unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son within the body here, he's writing to the church, that we will be mature in the Lord. Well, that's what he wants. And if you look in the mirror, church, and you say, you know what? I, I, I'm the same Christian today as I was 10 years ago. You're missing it. God wants to shape you. God wants to change you. He wants you to mature. And this is what Paul said to the church of Colossae. Colossians chapter 1. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This verse keeps me awake at night. This verse does. Am I going to present you mature in Christ when I stand before the Lord? Well, I have done everything in my power to stand before God and say, you know what, God, you entrusted that group of people to me. And, and I, I toiled, I worked with all the energy that, that I have that comes from you to present them mature before you. I look at my own family. Look at the 20-year-old and the 13-year-old that I have. Am I striving? Am I making every effort to present them mature in Christ? Parents, what, what if this was your life's mission in raising your children? I mean, we go to great lengths to make sure our kids in America have whatever they want and need to be socially acceptable. Like they want to play football, man, we will shell out the $800 for the spirit pack so they can play football. They want to do travel soccer, man, we will shell out whatever money needed so that they can, so that they can do this. We, we will go to great lengths to be involved in our children's life 
when it comes to, to what the world has to offer. And I'm not saying these things are bad. My kids, they did it all. They, they did baseball. They did football. Stella, if she wanted to do this, I'd make it happen. But are you as a mom and a dad, are you putting forth the same effort to present your children mature in Christ? He says, for this I told you, struggling with all energy that he powerfully works within me. Grandparents, you're not the hook. Grandparents, I, I, I encourage spoiling. Now, I, I'll, I'll never forget the day that, that my, my Griffin's the oldest on either side of, of our families. And, I, and I'll never forget the day that I had two, you know, two, two grandmothers still alive. And I was the first one with a grandchild. For them, a great-grandchild. Right? And you want to know what happened? They quit spoiling me. And they skipped the generation went to him. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works. He's got his own grandparents. Right? He's, he's got his own grandparents. Let, let his grandparents spoil him. You continue, grandmas. Come pour it out. Come on. And they're just like, oh, but he's cute and cuddly and he smells good and all that kind of stuff. You know, and I'm like, well, I, he's got to be cute and cuddly again. Come on. <laughs> Grandparents, I encourage the act of spoiling. I, I love to see it with my children. But what if you also toiled as Paul writes to present your grandchildren mature in Christ? And what if you made the effort? <clears throat> so as you can see in just a few verses, maturity within the body of believers is a big deal. And there's a couple other verses that we could bring out. God wants you to mature in your faith. So now we got to we got we got to define it. What is spiritual maturity? Well, here's where we kind of gone astray, especially within the American church. Not to beat up the American church so much lately, but I know I've been doing a lot of that. We don't get to define what spiritual maturity is. Just like I don't get to define what sexual immorality is. Just like I don't get to define what, what, what lying is. Just like I don't get to define what anger is. You, you go down the list. I don't get to define this. The Bible defines it for us. And I believe that the simplest way to understand what spiritual maturity is, you ready? It's for us, as followers of Jesus, to become like Jesus. That, that's the simplest way. When we, when we talk about spiritual maturity, when we talk about what that looks like, spiritual maturity is me becoming like Jesus. And I say this, Dallas Willard uh, wrote this, and I, and I love it. That being a disciple of Jesus is living my life today as Jesus would live my life today if he were me. Now, I got to work today. I got to deal with knuckleheads. How would Jesus treat those knuckleheads? He probably wouldn't call them knuckleheads, to be honest with you. All right, so let's start there. If I, if I go and I get bad service, you know, I've already experienced that today. Went to a restaurant, got bad service. How's Jesus going to reply? How's Jesus going to respond in that moment? Well, I'll tell you, he'd, he'd tip them one dollar and write on there, they need to get their act together. That's what he would, no. That's not what Jesus would do. Simplest way to explain what spiritual maturity is, is am I becoming like Jesus? And so last year, we adopted that as our vision as a church. That, that's the goal. That, that, that's what we look at at the end of each year. Were we successful as a church? It, it's not about numbers. It's not about dollars. That's, that's not what it's about around here. It's about did people take steps of faith that help them to become more and more like Jesus? Did we as a staff do everything within our power to prepare God's people for works of service? That's, that's our vision, is becoming like Jesus, because that's what we want for you. We desire that for everybody. Lola's in the nursery right now. She walked in, and Paula said, hey, what are we doing? She said, we're playing. 
Now, Paula's going to do a little thing with it, all right? She's going to do a little, a little hands-on Bible thing, okay? We want Lola to become like Jesus. I want every single one of you has breath in your lungs to become like Jesus. And so that's the vision of our church. Now, we get this from the Bible. So I'm going to rattle off a bunch right here. You ready? Luke 6, 40. Students are not greater than their teacher. This is Jesus. But the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. So Jesus is the teacher. He's talking to a room full of students. What does he say? You're not greater than me. But when you're fully trained, you're going to become like me. Colossians 3.10. Paul's right to the church. Put on your new nature. You're a believer. You've surrendered your life. That's your new nature. You are to be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. See, the world's had you long enough. The, the, the world has, has influenced you and he's taught you to think a certain way. But when you surrender your life to the Lord, Paul's saying to the church, your new nature is that your, your old life is dead. Your new, new life is Christ. You are to be renewed. The way you think, the way you act, it's, it's a renewal process. What? As you learn to know your creator. It's not know more about. I'm not anti-knowledge. I'm not anti-facts. All right? Please hear me on this. But what he's saying here is that you are to learn to know your creator. And as you know him intimately, become <laughs> like him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 So all of us who have had that veil removed and can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. I've had that veil removed. And I have the spirit that is within me. And I, as, as I know him, I, it, it, he makes us more and more like him. And I'm being changed into his glorious image. So verse 23 says, instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts. This is, I'm sorry, this is Ephesians 4.23. Instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Paul's telling the church again. You're to be renewed. How? Through the Spirit. Your thoughts and your attitudes. Like it's, it's, it's not just about my behavior. It's not just about the external, what people get. It's also my thoughts. I have to change the way I think about people. I'm no longer to see them as knuckleheads who get on my nerves. I'm to see them as children of God. Who have an intrinsic value just like I do. It's not because of anything I've done, it's because of how God sees them. Those are the thoughts, those are the attitudes that are to be changed, and I'm to put on the new nature. How I'm created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. I'm to take on the characteristics. And this, this is not about the sovereignty of God and you now getting this. This is not about having supernatural powers. That's, that's, not, that's not how we are created to be like God. We're created to be like God in character. Truly righteous and holy. Romans 8. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's our brother. And he's the firstborn. He chose you to become like it's not, not just to come and accept some cheap grace and get into heaven and have some fire insurance over here. He chose you to become like his son. And what are we doing with the opportunity, church? And I love Philippians. And for me, this is where it all started. This journey of us becoming like, like, like Jesus, it started with this verse. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
So here's the cool thing. God does the work in us. We know that from Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus asked the guys to come into a relationship. He said, come, follow me. I will make you. Jesus is like, I'm going to make y'all. I'm going to transform you into something. And, and Philippians backs this up. He began a good work in you, and it's going to be brought to completion. And so every day on this earth, God is willing and wanting to work within you to help you to mature, to become more like his son. And guess when it's complete? When we stand face to face with Jesus. When, when, when he returns or we are called up to him, we, that, is, that is when it is complete, the day of Jesus. And so God does the work within us. Now, here's the crazy thing about God. It happens. There's certainly some evidence of this. But you want to know, for the most part, you want to know what God doesn't do? He doesn't just zap you with an extra shot of the Holy Spirit to change you. Can you do it? Certainly. There's stories of people who were, were surrendered their life to the Lord and they came up out the water and, man, they're changed. Right? But that's not everybody's story. God just does not look at each and every one of you and just zap you and zap you and zap you and zap you and zap you and, zap you and all of a sudden I'm changed. But Jesus didn't grab 12 men and said, all right, I need y'all to just line up right here. I'm about to shoot all of you with the Holy Spirit. You're all going to be changed miraculously right here in the moment. It's not what Jesus did with the disciples. You know what God does? You know how God changes people? The person. Jesus brought them into relationship. He says, I'm going to let y'all live together. And I'm going to let you learn how to love one another. I, I, I love the chosen because I, I don't I don't know where you stand on the chosen. Hear, hear exactly what I'm saying. I, I love the chosen because it shows the human element of God's living together. We see their behavior. We see their worries. We see their selfish attitudes. That happens. Uh, the New Testament doesn't record a lot of those details, but I promise you right now, if, if you're if you're if you don't think that kind of stuff happens, we got a leadership team meeting coming up next Monday, a week from tomorrow. You come watch. You come watch seven Christians in a room together and see how we act and behave towards one another. Right? There's going to be some differences. There's, there's going to be some personal preferences. There's going to be some things there that 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 are different. It happens when Christians are brought. Together. Hey, you, you, you want to see some differences? Join one of our life groups. If you're not going to a life group, go to a life group. Check it out. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see different personalities. You're going to see different people coming together trying to live this thing out. That's what Jesus did. He brought them together in relationship. And he let them, he let them fight. He let them argue. He let them, he was disappointed. He, he, he went through this process and then at the right time, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And for three years of showing them how to live, showing them how to live with one another, and the Holy Spirit came into their life and they were ready to it was not just a, when you're a Christian, now let me zap you with it and now change you. We grow and mature, church, in our faith as we learn to become like Jesus. When we live in relationship, how do we become like Jesus? We love as Jesus, as God loved. 1 John 4, 7, 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I just want you to know, right here, we believe that God the Father and God the Spirit and God the Son are uniquely one. And to say that God is love, you say the Spirit is love. To say God is love is to say his son is also love. And we are to become like him. And he is 
God. So that's our mission. The vision, becoming like Jesus, that's the scorecard. That, that's the, are we winning at this thing? The game plan of how we actually execute the, 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 the vision is, is that we, we, we have a mission. This is how we do it. This is how we play the game. And so our mission here is that we are committed to loving God and loving people in relationship. Now last night, this got put to the test in my household. <laughs> I just found out about this this morning. <coughs> Griffin is out doing Griffin's thing. Amanda had a dinner party with some friends of hers. So it's just Stella and I. Most days, that means we're going out to eat. But we had already thawed out some chili and we already had some things working. And I'm like, hey, y'all, what are you Right? So I'm working, doing work at my house, dying all day. I come back in, chili's ready to go. We got some potatoes going, all that good stuff, right? We're doing it. And I open up the refrigerator. And there before me is that much of a 16 ounce Coke Zero. And I'm like, oh, how rude. I grab it out of the refrigerator, at which point my daughter informs me that's mom's. Well, mom loves me. It's okay. It's 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 no big deal. <laughs> there's another one in there. You should drink that one. I'm like, well, that one's been there forever. I don't want that one. Mom can have that one, right? Like, I mean, we love one another deeply in our house. <laughs> We're committed to loving God and loving people in relationship. And so, so I drank it and enjoyed every drop of it. Um, the Auburn basketball game did not go as planned, so I ended up just falling asleep to that because it wasn't well, anyway. I go to bed. I'm in bed like early because I mean I start my day pretty early. So I I'm in bed 845. I'm there. I know some of y'all are like, I also wake up at three, so stop it. Um, so this one comes home from her dinner gathering. And I didn't know any of this had occurred. But apparently, she opened up her fridge after getting pajamas on, that kind of stuff. And she's looking forward to just having some downtime and sitting in front of the TV and sipping on her Coke Zero. <coughs> this is no longer a thing. Of course, Stella reaped the, the, the whirlwind of this. Like, she's like, oh, you know, I mean, this apparently did. I'm not going to go into all the whole story and everything. But it was pretty intense based on what Stella told me. Right? <laughs> so. Now, we've got a garage refrigerator, and it's got some drinks in it, and there were also some Coke Zeros out there, right? And so she goes out there, and those are gone. So I didn't have, I didn't have that, that. That part was, was not on me. So uh, from, from what I understand, like, she just stood at, on the doorstep going into our house from the garage and just kind of had a moment and so this morning, walking into church, is the first time I've got to talk to her about it. And she was not impressed. She's like, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. <laughs> that is what being committed to loving one another in relationships is, is all about. Actually, the real story is Griff did something. He because he loves me so much, he did something that worse than that to deflect. So that's, that's the real. Story. I don't know what it is. I haven't heard it yet, but that's the real story. All right, church, we're committed to loving God, loving people in relationship. Mark twelve twenty eight through thirty four. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, "Which commandment is the most important of all?" Jesus answered, the most important? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your 
all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the whole, the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Church, the scribe gets it. Like he's there with the intent of, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to trip you up. Right? Because, I mean, there's a lot of disputing going on. And, and so I want to know, Jesus, in, in the claims of you being who you are, what is the most important command? Now, because this goes all the way back to, to the Old Testament. This goes all the way back to, to the book of Deuteronomy. What is the most important commandment? Do you really know your stuff? So of course Jesus knows his stuff. He rattles it off. And I, and I love the scribe's response. Hey, you are right, teacher. <laughs> he is one. And there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is so much more than the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Now, now we don't understand <coughs> how important a statement like this is. In, in the Old Testament, with the Mosaic Law, in Jewish culture, the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices was a major deal. It was everything. I mean, we, we're, we're going, to, we're going to, to check your maturity based on the level of sacrifices that you're making. This is huge. And this teacher who challenges Jesus, he gets it to love God with the entirety of who I am. And to love my neighbor as myself is more important. In Matthew's version of this, Jesus goes on to say that all other laws, all the other commands, everything else hinges upon these two commands. Some of us are worried about keeping some of these other commandments, and you should. But if we just focus right here, if, if we narrow it down to, I'm just going to focus on loving God for the entirety of who I am, and I'm going to focus on loving my neighbor, the people that I come into contact with, the way that I love myself. Hey, what Jesus tells the guy? You're not far. You are not far from the kingdom of God. This guy gets it. And so this is why we have said that, that this is the most important thing. This is for us. We are committed to loving God and loving people in relationships. And we talk about this all the time, and we push this, and we push this, and we push this. And let me let you in on some truths. It's messy. Loving people in relationships is messy. Man, it's hard. Some of y'all have some issues. Y'all gonna walk out of here and go say, man, my man's just got some issues. It's time consuming. I mean, if, I, if I'm gonna love other people, it's time consuming. And I'm gonna be hurt. You're going to let me down, and I am going to let you down. You're going to come home, and the Coke Zero is not going to be there. You're going to be taken advantage of. And then you're going to have conversations with other people. Oh, do we do it again? Do we give them more? Do we do this? Because loving people in relationships is challenging. And here's the bummer of it all. 
I can love you and love you and love you and love you, and I may not see any change in the people that I am loving. And that, church, is where God does the work in our lives to transform us. That's where God does the work to spur us on to become like Jesus. And too many of us have, have fallen into the same thought process of the pagans and the tax collectors. There's too many pagans and tax collectors in, in the church in America. You want to know what that is? I only love the people who love me back. That's what Jesus says in Luke. What is it to only love the people who love you back? Because let me tell you right now, uh, on their worst day, it's easy to love those people. I mean, these three people I share a roof with, on their worst day, it is easy, easy, easy to love them. Do I want to kill them sometimes? Yes. Do they want to kill me sometimes? Absolutely. It's easy to love. And Jesus looks at us and he says, if you only love the people that love you back, what, what credit is that to you? That's not enough, church. You want to know why? Because in those moments where I'm just loving people who love me back and I'm ignoring everybody else or I'm just tolerating everybody else, God's not going to, he can, he, he, yeah, he can do some some, some work there. He can, he can change my life there, but it is when I am in the thick of it. When I am learning to love people who, who, who are messy and hard to love. That, that, that's what shapes me. That's where the transformation of spiritual growth and maturity of becoming like Jesus takes place. So that is why we are committed to loving God and loving people. Paul tells the church in Philippians chapter 2, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one, uh, with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So pretend with me for just a second. Pretend with me that Paul wrote this letter to a church in North Alabama. And it's Life Bridge. Where's that in the Bible? Life Bridge. Life Bridge chapter 2. <laughs> Paul's writing it directly to him. We got the text right here. I don't know who's writing his letters for him, but he's got excellent, excellent penmanship. Paul, we have a relationship with Paul, and he says, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. Hmm. We gotta stop there, church. What is making Paul happy? I mean, we live for Jesus, right? Like, well, I mean, that, that's that's one. But Paul's writing to the people he has a relationship with, and he says, Man, make me truly happy. Are we doing that? Are, 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 we, are, are we making him happy? Because, because here's the thing. What's he talking about? He's talking about loving people. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about how we treat one another. Do we agree wholeheartedly with one another today about the, what the Bible is telling us to do? Keep going. I don't even want to wrestle with that inside. Do, do you agree today that we are to be working towards, that we should be striving towards spiritual maturity? That we should be striving towards becoming like Jesus. And do we agree that the best way for us to do that is to love one another like we love ourselves, or to take it one step further as he talked to the disciples, to love each other as I, Jesus, have loved you? Do, do we agree that we're supposed to do that? And the love, by the way, is this agapo, sacrificial, unconditional love. That's, that's what he's talking about. Do we agree wholeheartedly with one another that today that this is what the Bible is telling us to do and this is what I need to be doing? And then, 
Are we loving one another? And are we working together with one mind and purpose? I don't always feel that way. I mean, I get it. God's got to meet you where you are. And I've got a role to play. you got a role to play. But, but I don't always feel that we're working together with one mind and purpose. Maybe it's me. I'm willing to look in the mirror and see just something I need to be doing different. Have you? Nope, I've always done church this way, and this is what I am, and this is what I remember, so this is what it is. <coughs> Not if that is that we're mature in our faith. And we could spend hours talking about how loving one another is the most important thing that we are to do after we surrender our lives to the Lord. So then Paul says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Struggle with that. Don't look out only for your own interests. But take an interest in others too. Let me, let me tell you, and just real quick, we're about to wrap up. I like my I like my life. I like my schedule. I like to put the Sykes household right here, make it the most important thing, and then fit the world into it. Paul says, don't look out only for your own interest. He's not saying I can't look at my interest. He's not saying I can't take care of this, but I must take an interest in others too. So with all that said this morning, January 8th, actually January 1st, I wasn't even here, but we did the video, we challenged you to start praying for your one more. And I purposely have not said a word the last two weeks about it. Purposely have done it. Are you praying for your one more? Are, 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 you, are you sharing the same sentiment that, that Paul had in Romans chapter 9 where he said, I would give up my faith, I would be cursed so that my brothers and sisters, my Jewish brothers and sisters can come to have a relationship with the Lord. Can you have that sentiment about your one more, about your person? And trust me, God, this is not a church growth strategy. All right, that, that, that's been done other places. That, that's not us here. It's about developing the sentiment of I really and truly care and am concerned for people that do not have a relationship with the Lord to the point I'm willing to look for them. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to find these people. And I'm going to start by praying. So are you praying for your Are you loving them the way God loves you? Are you loving them the way you love yourself? Are you willing? Uh-oh, I'm about to cross a line. Are you willing to actually get into a relationship with them? Invite them over for dinner. Invite them out for coffee. Invite them to whatever. Are you willing to get into a relationship with them? Even if it means I take advantage of them. Even if it means it'll cost you some time on the couch. So we're praying for your one more. So we're going to go into a time of communion right now and just let you reflect on that. I think we got some guys coming up to, to pass the emblems. They're going to pass. They're going to pass these in just a moment. I'm going to read another passage. And as they're passed, you just take, you just take these. But I, I want to read the rest of, of, of 1 John, and it's not coming up on the screen, so this is just, just me. John goes on to write, Beloved, if God also loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Let that sink in. His love is perfected in me. By this we know that we abide in him and he is in us because he has given us his spirit. We have that spirit as believers. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's why we do it right there. In just a second, you're going to take a piece of bread and you're going to, you're going to take a cup. It's got some juice in it. And you're going to take it this morning because, because you are a believer. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. God loves us so much that he sent his son to be a sacrifice. Whoever believes will inherit eternal life. You're going you're gonna to take that in just a second, and you're going to look at that, and you're going to hold that. And you're going to remember what Jesus said. Do this in remembrance of my love for you. So as we we do this, you commit today to the one another. Whoever the person is, if nothing else, commit to praying for this one more as you hold the very, not the very body, but you hold the emblems that represent the body and the blood. God, we love you and we thank you for this day. Thank you for being our Savior sent Jesus to die for us and we're grateful for that Father. But Lord, as we take this communion right now, as we remember the sacrifice that was made, let us not just be willing to accept the love and the grace that was, has been lavished upon us, but to extend that to people who are living in rebellion to you. I may be inconvenienced, God, let me be okay with that. I may have to make some financial sacrifices. Lord, I pray that we're willing to do that. Thank you for your love to us. Help us, Father, to love others better. We pray these things in your son's name.